There's a line from A New Hope that I think is entirely appropriate for this moment. It's said by Sir Alec Guinness right after he's rescued Mark Hamill from the Sand People. Guinness's character asks Hamill's character, what brings you out so far in the Gungan ways? And Mark's character then gestures Star 2, D2, and says this little droid is looking for his former master, and someone called Obi-Wan Kenobi, and, and, and Luke then says, do you know who this little droid is talking about? And old Ben pauses for a moment, and when he then says, now that's a name I haven't heard for a long time. A long time. And speaking of names you haven't heard for a long time, welcome back to Looking at Lucasfilm, the podcast with a different perspective on the world of Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and all of the other entities that George Lucas, Kathleen Kennedy, Dave Filoni, and the rest of the team at Lucasfilm have dreamed up over the past 40 years. Now, Dan Z and I recorded a new edition of this show back in January of 2021. And and he and I paused working together because, frankly, Dan was about to get very, very busy. And, well, not just for Coffee with Kenobi, uh, Dan's great podcast, uh, which, by the way, just launched a, a killer new line of, of merch, but also Dan's brand new book, Star Wars, I Am Your Father, Lessons for Parents, Protectors, and Mentors. Dan wrote this book with Anne Richlaw. DK is sending the 64-page tome out into stores on May 31st. Be the perfect Father's Day gift. Anyway, so the plan was I would just pause production of Looking at Lucasfilm for a few weeks with the idea being I'd create a respectful distance between the version of the podcast I did with Dan Z and then the new version with, with another host. So how is it that 16 months went by? This was not the plan. This, you know, the, the show was about, I just got busy, folks. I just got busy and kept intending to revive the show. But then a, a very good friend of mine, uh, someone I have known for, dear Lord, how many years now? About 20 Probably. years. 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I, I, Brian Gone reached out. And you offered yourself up and nudged me back into bringing back the show, right? Well, yeah, I did that, but I had to um, do it in such a way that I had to make sure that you wanted to do it. And basically I said, I didn't hear your your reviews about the second Mandalorian series, and I really yeah. miss it, or Boba Fett. Yeah. And I'm going, there was something wrong. It just it didn't seem the same that I didn't hear what, you know, Jim had to say about it. So I used that as a, you know, as a, a little way to get into that. I go, well, you know, what about me? And then I told you about, you know, my. Well, I, I, let's. let's okay. okay. Am I getting let's ahead of myself? Open, let's, <laughs> let's not open the kimono just yet. I mean, I just, you know, I, if I sound excited, there's a reason I'm excited. Because first of all, again, I've been looking forward to bringing back the show and the very thing that Brian was just saying when the second season of The Mandalorian was on and when the, the Book of Boba Fett was on, it's like, oh, I should really be talking about that. But to be able to do this with Brian, I'm an entertainment writer. I watch a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff, whereas Brian has actually worked in this industry. In fact, it is so appropriate that you live out in L.A., you've been a fan of Star Wars since... I mean, you actually went the opening weekend to the Man's Chinese then? or No. Oh, actually, I was living in Orange County, and mm -hmm. um, it opened up in well, it opened up in only thirty-seven theaters or mm -hmm. thirty-two theaters that that on Wednesday, and then the weekend it it, it opened up in five more, mm -hmm. uh, and that usually happened with a big film. It would mm -hmm. open up in L.A. at the Chinese or mm -hmm. the the one of the Westwood theaters like the mm -hmm. Avco or stuff like that and that's mm -hmm. what happened it opened at the Avco and the Chinese mm -hmm. but for some some reason this time they opened it up in Orange County also at the Orange Center Plit theaters please explain Having it at this theater is really cool because it was like one of the biggest screens. In well, no, it didn't get there yet. That's the whole oh, thing. Okay. It wasn't the big screen. The big screen was actually across from where I lived in Newport Beach in Big Canyon, mm -hmm. which was the biggest screen on the west west of the Mississippi. Mm -hmm. And they did not open it there because, I guess, Old Man Edwards did not think a, a sci-fi film, and, and that's what they they called them, sci-fi films, would do well in mm -hmm. his big theater. Of mm -hmm. course, a month later, 
he did put it in the big theater, and it was even after a month later, it was selling out there. And I had actually saw it a couple times there. My parents are. Um, my dad was the kind of person that he wouldn't leave the house until the movie started, and then he would get, <laughs> then he would get to the theater, and we'd be climbing over people, and you know, wouldn't be able to sit together. Mm-hmm. So I went over there. For them, and I sat in line for two hours, and then they came right away. But because they were older people at the time, nobody got upset, and I had told mm-hmm. that I'm waiting for my parents, and so mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. But at that time, it was like the fifth or sixth time I had seen the film on a screen that size. This must have played. I mean, New Hope must have played beautifully. And oh, it was amazing. Drew and I were just talking about. He was out. For CinemaCon, which of course is the big exhibitor thing that's done every year in Las Vegas. And those folks right now are really heartened because it looks like we're all going back to the movie theaters. Uh, In fact, they're really intrigued to see what happens this coming weekend with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. But it's hard to explain what it was like in 1977 to be in a theater especially that first time when the Millennium Falcon comes diving out of the sun. Yeah. When Luke's in the trench and I have you now. <laughs> and it's that noise, when it's a theater full of people who've never seen this film before and the Millennium Falcon comes diving out of the sun. I mean, you couldn't hear the dialogue from the cheering and the noises the audience made for the next like 30 seconds which we kind of lose today. And I mean, don't go get me wrong. It's cool to be home in front of your laptop or, or, or your, your flat screen and, and see these things. You know, Brian and I are the same animal, all right? We're, we're the same age. We saw these things in theaters. That's where our enthusiasm comes from. But what makes Brian especially a special animal is you've actually worked in the industry. In fact, I, yeah. I, I, when we started off, I, I was trying to point out that, hey, you live in L.A., and then the first film you worked on in the industry was to live and die in L.A. <laughs> with Friedkin. Yeah, William Friedkin. Please tell the story about the Chinese theater in, in regard to, well, it was, it was a Friedkin that forced Star Wars out of the theater, right? right. The, the whole thing is that year, everybody thought that the main movie, the main summer film would be mm-hmm. William Friedkin's um, version of Wages of Fear mm-hmm. called uh, The Sorcerer. Not The Sorcerer, <laughs> but Sorcerer mm-hmm. with Roy Scheider. There we go. Yep. Which he, you know, he had used in French Connection. So the Chinese theater in Hollywood, which mm-hmm. it's it possibly at that time was that was the epitome. That was where you wanted to play. You wanted to play there, or you wanted to play in the the dome, the Cinerama mm-hmm. dome. But the Chinese was the best place to have the premieres and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So. Star Wars opened there, and then I think it was going to be there for about two or three weeks, mm-hmm. and then Sorcerer was going to come. Now, mm-hmm. also at the time, there wasn't the big mall next to it. There was an open oh. wall next of the Chinese That's theater. Right. That's and what right. they would do is they would paint mm-hmm. the poster mm-hmm. on the wall. So you'd have this mural of the poster. So you had this mural of Star Wars mm-hmm. and then and then 3 weeks later they painted it over and they put Sorcerer up there. But the thing was is everybody was seeing Star Wars. The main reason why is mm-hmm. because the it it opened the date I'll never forget, May mm-hmm. 25th, 1977, which was a Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, most films opened on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. So they could get a running start into the weekend. Mm-hmm. Only very, very special films opened on Friday, and then in the 90s, that all switched. Edited. So there they were with this movie that was, people were waiting in line, and that was the main thing is because of the first three days, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, of people mm-hmm. waiting in line, that became news, mm-hmm. and all the news stations had it. Mm-hmm. Well, and people are going, wait, if these people are waiting in line, this must be a film that I have to see. Mm-hmm. And that weekend, which was Memorial Day weekend, mm-hmm. I had seen it again. I had seen it on the Thursday 
and then I, but I went by myself because nobody would go with me. Nobody yeah. wanted to see a movie called Star Wars. Only geeks who read comic books, like I was at the time, I was 16, would mm-hmm. want to see this film. But then everybody's talking about it. It was mm-hmm. on. It was sort of on the cover of Time magazine. It was supposed to be, mm-hmm. but um, what was Anwar Sadat? No, no. Who was the Begin? Yeah, yeah. He yeah. he became like the first uh, conservative to be elected in Israel, and he he pushed Star Wars off the the cover, mm-hmm. and but it was on the cover of American Cinematography. It was on the mm-hmm. cover of. Um, I think Cine FX was hmm. out at that time. So all the the nerds and the geeks and the comic book guys, they were in line for the first three days, and I was one of them. But then everybody heard about the movie, and everybody wanted to see it, and that weekend I saw it four more times with different friends because they didn't want to go see it alone. So they wouldn't go with me, but they <laughs> but I had to go with them. Uh, that's killer. And then what happened was mm-hmm. Sorcerer did not do that well. It, it didn't. It didn't. You know, and, and in fact, that was the surprise of the summer of 77. You know, you thought for sure the guy who did The Exorcist, you know, that, ooh, can't wait for the next film from the guy from The Exorcist. But it, what's intriguing about what you described, the phenomena of people lining up, in a weird sort of way, Jaws plowed the road. Oh, absolutely. For the success of Star Wars. I mean, because remember, the very first time you heard the stories about, look at, you know, the lines outside of the pe- theater, people waiting to get in to see the, you know, that and. Was Jaws, that, yeah. And then, and again, you know, Jaws created the summer blockbuster, for, for lack of a better term. And, and so, in a weird sort of way, the media was primed for the next big blockbuster to come over the hill. It, it certainly didn't hurt the narrative because it's like, oh, it's another young filmmaker like Spielberg. This is George Lucas, the guy who did American Graffiti. And well, I knew this. I knew this too, and that's mm-hmm. why I got there on Thursday two hours earlier. Mm-hmm. Because when I originally saw Jaws, it was playing at a theater, you know, that wasn't near near us. Mm-hmm. So we'd have to take the bus. We being my brothers and I, I had two brothers, mm-hmm. and I was fifteen. Mm-hmm. And actually, I wasn't even 15 yet. I was mm-hmm. 14, and my brothers were 12 and mm-hmm. um, 9. Mm-hmm. And I had read the book, mm-hmm. and I knew that this was going to be a good, you know, a big, and a shark. Well, the, wait a minute. Wait, you read the <laughs> Alan Dean Foster book ahead of going to see A, a New Hope? Really? Actually, Peter Benchley, but yeah. Oh, no, um, no, 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 no. I'm sorry, Jaws. Jaws, 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 Jaws. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, the reason okay. why is because I loved movies. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a movie out in 1971 mm-hmm. or 1972 called The Exorcist. Yes. And my parents would not let me see it because it was mm-hmm. rated R. Mm-hmm. So this 13-year-old or 12-year-old Catholic boy read mm-hmm. The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. And it scared the living baloney out of me. Okay. That was the, the Peter Blatty book, Peter, right? Yeah, Peter Blatty. Mm-hmm. And okay. um, I mean, because all the Catholic stuff was in there. So then I begged my parents. I said, I read the book. Mm-hmm. You have to take me to the movie. So my dad said, okay, I'll take <laughs> you to the movie. And he took okay. me to the movie on Easter <sighs> Eve, right? What I'll, a good I'll, dad. I'll, I'll, tell, I'll tell you that story <laughs> later. I mean, because that night, I was uh, I was convinced that, that the devil was out to get me. I really thought that that was mm-hmm. going to happen. But so that was my first. I realized mm-hmm. that I, so with Jaws, my brothers mm-hmm. and I, we waited in line. Mm-hmm. Well, we got there for the 12 o'clock show, but it was sold out. Mm-hmm. So we had to wait for the next show. Mm-hmm. And... We got in there, and the movie so intrigued. Well, we loved the movie, so we saw it again. Mm -hmm. And then it was nighttime, and I didn't want to take the bus, so I decided I was going to call my parents to pick us up. They Mm -hmm. weren't home, so we saw it a third time. (laughs) Because that was the time they weren't kicking you out of the theater. That's right. They didn't do that for for Star Wars either. If you wanted Mm -hmm. to sit in the theater and watch it again, they would let Mm -hmm. you do that. Wow. So I knew I had to... Star Wars, I knew I had to wait in line, and mm-hmm. I got there early, and I got a great seat, and I sat next to some soccer mom with her kids and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and it was, it, I had never seen anything like it 
in my whole entire life. What a lot of people don't understand is there was not just the used future aesthetic that Lucas used for the film itself, you know, the, the look of the film, the style of the film. There was also the fact that this were the serials from the 30s and the 40s made new again. The Flash Gordons, that sort of thing. It, in fact, what's so interesting to me is when you read about Lucas actually prepping the film to be made. You know, he, he talked about it in terms as a Disney film. It's for kids. The dialogue, the style, it was intended for that audience, but it made the big leap to become a, a mass audience hit. Because, again, we hadn't seen this, a, a 30s and 40s serial done for the big screen with amazing effects. And it was familiar yet different. Well, yeah, the only science fiction films that we had were we had um, 1968, I think it was, uh, 2001. Oh, yeah. Where those, were, those effects just, they had never been done before. I actually think one of the, the key components to... Star Wars success was, was, think about it, we had Planet of the Apes, which, okay, spoiler alert, right. they're back on Earth. <laughs> or things like Soylent Green, where, hey, the world is ending, and, and we're eating each other. Again, right. spoiler they alert. They were very negative aspects of of what society was going to be. And and even with, like, um, in 72, you had um, Silent Runnings, which is where you got the little droids and stuff. You but it was did. still, it was the end of the, the world. The, the earth had mm-hmm. perished for the most part. And this was the only garden in the universe was mm-hmm. in this little spaceship. But see, there wasn't anything, you're right. There wasn't anything positive no, that's it, about exactly. science fiction at the time. That, I think, is a really important component of well, the Well, that's probably because of the readers. Because the, the science fiction readers weren't very positive type of people at the time i mean i remember i was one of them and yeah then, yeah and yeah. look at the books you read you read the Isomoff and um, future shock and yeah exactly and then, yeah. then the only kind of good future was ray bradbury but even he would put a twist in it an o henry twist and you'd end up stranded in you know space for the rest of your life <laughs> but um <laughs> Not to, to interrupt, but we were we were establishing, again, you're a different sort of Star Wars fan in that you actually worked in the industry. In fact, I want you to talk about, now this is 87, right? When when you end up working actually on Masters of the Universe. Which yeah, I was, um, I had gotten into movies mm-hmm. by um, an, actually a, a high school teacher of mine who uh, left teaching high school after Proposition 13 mm-hmm. and went into the film business and mm-hmm. he worked on this film which was going to uh, to live and die in LA which was mm-hmm. Billy Friedkin's comeback film after his heart attack oh. and to say he was on his best behavior mm-hmm. is overstating it because mm-hmm. he was amazing he was mm-hmm. terrific he didn't you know, all the nightmare Billy was gone mm-hmm. and I talked to his editor Bud Smith, and mm-hmm. you know that's another conversation for another day. Oh, I mean, I I have yeah. some secrets for, about The Exorcist and movies like that that are just going piss me off is what it did. Mm-hmm. But so I worked on that, and then I was working on other films, and I was working on Mannequin, mm-hmm. and I was in the L.A. office working with the editors while they were filming in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And at Lionsgate Studios, which I think still at the time was owned by Robert Altman. There was a, um, a another production there that was just starting up, and it was Masters of the Universe. Now, this was for the Canon group, right? The, the yeah, this was go- for mm-hmm. the Canon and directed by um, Gary Goddard. And I would talk to this one guy who was working there, mm-hmm. and he was really cool. And he worked in comic books, and we would talk comic books. And I was right out of college so i wasn't collecting comic books like i used to be in college Mm -hmm. so i didn't go every week to the comic book store and this man his name is william stout bill stout Mm -hmm. he comes in he goes have you seen what was it the batman returns and Mm -hmm. i said no he goes i'll get you a copy so he got me a copy a first issue a first issue edition copy of frank miller's 
Um. Batman Returns. And or else I wouldn't have gotten it. So we became friends and I would go over there and um watch, you know, the artists and there was at the time there was four of them. There was Bill mm-hmm. Stout, there was a man called Ed Eith, who is um better known as the man who predicted the future from Back to the Future Two. Mm-hmm. And also he worked on uh, Rocketeer, mm-hmm. and also he did storyboards for Captain EO. Wow. So uh, he and I became really good friends. And then I became friends with the other, um, George Jensen was there, and a couple other people. So they were going to move over to Laird Studios, which mm-hmm. was now I think it's called Culver Studios, which is where they shot Gone with the Wind and King Kong and all that stuff. And... I I was done with mannequins, so I asked if there was a a position for me, and they said, "Yeah, you could be our uh, production assistant." Mm-hmm. So I was the production assistant on Masters of the Universe. So I was I was responsible for making sure that all the artwork was where it was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And Bill and I eventually became really good friends because I I moved into Pasadena into his neighborhood, mm-hmm. and his wife once told me, she goes. Bill thinks that you're the perfect PA. I go, oh, really? He goes, yeah. You would be there whenever mm-hmm. anybody did. You'd go around, you'd talk to people, you'd help them, whatever. As soon as a producer came in or the director or somebody of importance came in, you mm-hmm. would disappear. They couldn't find you. They couldn't find you. They, they'd look around. They didn't know mm-hmm. where you were until mm-hmm. they needed a mm-hmm. certain piece of art then all Mm. of a sudden you were there with the art you put it in front of him and you left again he goes that's what the perfect pa was somebody who knew what was going on and didn't you know didn't get in anybody's way what kind of intrigues me about masters of the universe this is released to theaters in in 87 and the original star wars trilogy had wrapped in 83 but everybody in the industry, I mean, it had been such a big rock in the river that everybody wanted yeah. one of those. And, the and, next and one, yeah. Interesting you use the word next one because everybody who launched a fantasy film series, never, nobody ever made one fantasy film during this series, you know, this time. Oh, I know. They were all, all looking to, ooh, I'm going to do the first of a trilogy or a series or whatever. And so this is, you know, Masters of the Universe that had, had already had the huge success from the Mattel toy line. So it's like, this is going to be our Star Wars. And so did you hear that a lot? I mean, face it, you're there with the artists who are doing the pre-production art, which is then used to help make the sets and the costumes and that sort of thing. Did the S word come up a lot then? Oh, yeah, of course. As a matter of fact, one of the the artists, his name was um, Sergio Mazzoli, mm-hmm. I think his name was. Mm-hmm. Either he worked on Star Wars or he said he worked on Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And he created the, I guess you could call them the Stormtroopers for Evil Inn. And if you look at them, they look a lot like the Stormtroopers from Star Wars, Mm -hmm. except they're blue. (laughs) And... um, It was, I, I, and you wonder, is that a note that came down to Gary and the team? Yeah, from they Mattel, gotta be blue. Yeah. They gotta be blue, because <laughs> legal tells us they gotta be blue. You know, it can't be white. Yeah. But the, when the movie came out, the opening weekend wasn't the greatest, but it was mm-hmm. okay for that yep. kind of movie. Mm-hmm. But then the phenomenon was it mm-hmm. did better the next weekend, and that never happens. No, it doesn't, yeah. But then what happened... <laughs> then what happened mm-hmm. was Canon went bankrupt. Oh, that's right. And they had to pull the movie. Mm-hmm. Now, the movie didn't get bad reviews. It got mm-hmm. pr- okay reviews. I mean, mm-hmm. Dolph was Dolph. I'd be back. I'd be back. I'd be back. Mm-hmm. But Courtney Cox was in it, and she was a cute little girl. She was, mm-hmm. you know, people liked her. And then Franklin Jella just ate up the scenery in a very positive way as Skeletor. So the movie was getting a, it was getting a fan base, but then all of a sudden it disappeared. Mm-hmm. And it it never recovered. Mm-hmm. Um I think it recovered, you know, when it was sold to somebody else and then they brought it out on videotape. But mm-hmm. I I'm pretty sure, I mean, after the second week they were already they had a a, a second script. Mm-hmm. They they were ready to go into production right away. So it just it just happened that you know Canon 
just overextended themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think the budget was originally about fifteen million, and it went up to twenty five million. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that's not that that still was a lot of money, but it wasn't oh, a God, lot of yeah. money. Yeah. I mean, think about Star Wars. The original mm-hmm. budget was nine point five million dollars, mm-hmm. and they went over budget to eleven million dollars. So it was like. <laughs> and, and yeah, and there were executives at, at Fox calling for George's head because yeah. of that overage at that time. And uh. so it was it was neat to work on the film and see that because I was a fan of Star Wars. So mm. when Star Wars first came out, I couldn't get enough of what was what Star Wars was. I would buy the books. I would buy the records. I would mm. buy the. I mean, I listened to that soundtrack like. You know, mm-hmm. more than the, I, I would listen to Elton John's latest mm-hmm. album. Mm-hmm. And it was just, uh, and that's kind of where I discovered soundtracks too. It was mm-hmm. Jaws and Star Wars. Oh, yeah. And and The Omen. Omen, that was Jerry Goldsmith, right? Yeah. Bees busy <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, and, and, and it's so interesting because it's like when you're our age, you grew up with... Do you remember when you'd watch the title sequences for the Irwin Allen television shows? Oh, and, yeah. And the music for those shows were done by Johnny Williams. Johnny Williams, yeah. Johnny Williams, and it was only... And also Goldsmith, yeah. too. Didn't he do a lot of this? Oh, the, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, these are the guys who, who earned their seat at the table doing the, the big budget, you know... Henry uh, Mancini. I mean, he did the one of the greatest, you know... Yeah. What is it? Gun... The, you're right. The, the theme for Peter Gunn, Peter which, Gunn right. which then kicked open the door for doing things like you know the Pink Panther theme and yeah. But yeah, it's just that there was definitely a food trip. But I always loved the fact that Johnny Williams. It's kind of that Woody Allen thing where you know comedy is the kids' table. You know, but when you make it right music for television, you're Johnny Williams. But when you go and you make right music for film, you're John Williams. John Williams. Uh, by the way, folks, just to interrupt here. This is why I was excited about doing this show with Brian. <laughs> this is mainline geek talk here, folks. Yeah, I'm I'm not a know-it-all. You know, the, no, I do the, know it all, but in a charming <laughs> sort of way. Yes, yeah, I don't. I'm not too obnoxious. Well, I'm not too obnoxious to people who like this stuff. Mm-hmm. Again, you, I go to Comic Con every year, and you're in a room with 150,000 people just like you. And mm-hmm. you go to lunch, and you're sitting there eating, and somebody says, can I sit at this table? And you say, absolutely. And they start off the conversation was, well, what do you think of, about this? Mm-hmm. Now, they don't ask you if you watch the show. They just ask you what you thought about the, the cliffhanger in the last episode. And, of course, you know what they're mm-hmm. talking about. So that's what you, you got to be on your toes. You got to know all these things because people are constantly, geeks are constantly making sure that you have the cred. And that's the thing. When you're with these folks, it, it, it literally the underlying messages keep up, keep up. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. They've seen everything. They, they, oh, or, yeah. I, I love that you brought up Comic Con because, again, that that's actually a very key part of. of O'Brien and Maya's relationship. But did, did we actually meet at Comic Con? No, the original the original way we met was I was working at um, Countrywide during doing phone support, and this was when computers were just coming in and stuff mm-hmm. like that, and mm-hmm. the internet, right. and they would allow us go on the internet, and mm-hmm. um, and I found uh, a Disney website that told mm-hmm. me about Disney. I, was it? It was Al Lutz's. Oh, God, yes. Uh, the very first website I actually worked for. Was it Mouse Planet? Well, this was before it became Mouse Planet. This okay. was when it was the Disney Infor- Disneyland Information Guide. It was called right. the, the Dig. The Dig, that's right. I was trying to think of that. The funniest thing, I'm, I'm coming up on my 25th year of writing for the web, and what happened was I was a print guy. And my I, my ex-wife, Michelle, reached out and she's like, hey, I'm working with this Al Lutz guy on this DIG thing. And and we realized that we need content. And so uh, could you write a story? And it's <laughs> like my day job at the time was working at Barnes & Noble. And the Michael Eisner book, Work in Progress, had just come out. And so I said, well, hell, I could do a review of that. I could, you know, knock out five to six hundred you know words and as a print guy i was used to the whole you finish your article you submit it to your editor they make some cuts and if you're lucky and you work for a newspaper 
two days, three days, four days down the line, it shows up in the paper. Or God help you if you work for a magazine, months later it shows up. So I send the Word doc off to Michelle, and it's like 45 minutes later, I get a note from her. It's like, it's up. It's like, what do you mean it's up? Whoa. It's up. <laughs> I had handed it to her. She had handed it to Al. Al read it and said, perfect, and threw it up on the site. And it's like, and it was like that first little taste of heroin. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I yeah. mean, you're just the whole notion of, really? That's how fast these things go? Or, or Mrs. Like, Mrs. Fields cookies, you know. There we go. Okay, all right. They, they, the G-rated. Yes, the first taste of, 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 of <laughs> Oh, they Fields do. Cookies. They push those things like crack. You go to the mall and they go, would you like a, <laughs> would you like a little piece of cookie? And you go, yeah, sure. And all of a sudden you're buying 12 dozen cookies from yeah. it. But yeah, so I found this site and your articles were, or you had the the thing, Y4, that mm-hmm. was your thing. Yep. And you had the picture mm-hmm. of you with Alice on your shoulders. Uh, but again, this was a sweet gig to have when, <laughs> when you had a little girl. Between the you know, the various things Disney would send me that I could send to Alice, or oh, the, yeah. the, the events we got to go to, or the, the movies, or that sort of thing. It was, it was a fun time. Uh, and I was doing three sh- stories a week for Al. And then after a couple years, mm-hmm. you announced that you mm-hmm. were coming to Disneyland. Oh god, that's right. And you yeah. asked if and also you you know you solicited a cassette that you were going to do and I'm still waiting for that. I I don't know why I haven't received it yet. Dang. But okay. <laughs> Next week. Next week. I but, swear to god. But anyway, so you you said you were going to be there and you were going to give personal uh tours. Mm-hmm. And you'll just sign up. So I mm-hmm. signed up and mm-hmm. I got there I think I got there for the first one, mm-hmm. and a few people um, showed up, and mm-hmm. we went through, and it was it was remarkable because I mean I knew a lot about Disney, and and the best thing about Disney, everybody wanted to go to Disneyland with me, and the reason why is because I knew where all the bathrooms were, <laughs> and that is a but skill. Now that I is learned, a skill. That, yeah, but now I learned all these great like the windows and the pumpkin in. Disney's Toontown and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So I learned all these new things from you. Mm-hmm. And then your second tour, mm-hmm. they didn't show up or something. And we were, I, I was just sitting there waiting for you. And mm-hmm. there was a couple, of, I can't remember who the people were, but I think they were friends of yours too. Mm-hmm. And we ended up going to the Plaza restaurant there. Mm-hmm. We, we had mm-hmm. we had restaurant, we kept on talking and talking. And then you and I exchanged emails and we became email friends. And then I found out that you were going to Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I was working with Bill Stout. I was in his booth. I was helping him set up his booth. Mm-hmm. And you came by, and I introduced you to, and then I hung out with you a little bit. You got me in a couple panels. Mm-hmm. And it was just, and then the friendship began that way. And what? And it wasn't just geeking out. Mm-hmm. What was great about you and I would were almost like pen pals, yeah, and yeah. we would send each other emails, mm-hmm. but they weren't an email like, "Oh, did you see the new this?" or "Did you do that?" They were deep. I mean, you would tell me about the stuff that was happening with you and Nancy. I would tell you about my stuff I was going through. So it was it was a it was basically two old guys sitting on a porch, you know, with their lemonade. <laughs> talking about what was going on and it was this this email and it wasn't like email next day email it was email next couple months an email next couple months an email and mm-hmm. it just was and then every time you came out here you try mm-hmm. to connect with me and of mm-hmm. course, I um, I introduce you to Tito's Tacos, which is oh well, there we go. There. That's one of the things I, <laughs> I no I love about LA is tacos and burgers out there are our religion. In and out. I still remember to this day my good friend Michael Rodonia, who who lived out here in Massachusetts with his lovely wife Robin, but again was a displaced Southern Californian, and so one trip. I flew out with him to California, and seriously, we got off the plane in LAX. We got in the rental car and drove straight to the Tommies at Rampart. Tommies. 
and Beverly. Tommy's in Beverly, a Rampart in Beverly. There we go. All right, and it was one of these things. And it was one of these things where he was the the peace that came over his face, and he ordered his Tommy burger, and I get you told me exactly how to order it, and then yep. we walked over to the outside thing where he taught me the stance. Yeah. All right, <laughs> because you know, when you have a Tommy burger, you have to hold it in a certain way unless you're going to destroy your clothing. And you have if you're wearing a tie, you have to put it in the back of your. There we go. There we go. Or tuck it, it in. Oh yeah, I knew the um ram- that that was the original Tommy's. It mm. was, actually the original one was on the corner, and then they bought the building in the back, and then they had a little Tommy's back there. But it was so funny because every time you went there, mm-hmm. there were other there was like a Taco Bell and there was another hamburger stand, and nobody yeah. would go to those. Well, no, no, of course, you know. But but again, that, in much the same way that that Michael introduced me to to, to the Tommy's, and and again we had that wonderful night where again when, when you took me to the taco place. Okay, here's what you're yeah. gonna order. Here's how tacos. You're gonna, there we go. Yeah, it was it was tacos and then their burritos, their Colorado beef burritos. Yeah, they're they're every time I go to the airport or every time I go to that side. Well, I'm going to be visiting. Uh, my my daughter just got accepted to UCLA. Oh, so, congrats! Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. And but the first thing I thought of was I can have Tito's every time <laughs> I will go visit her. <laughs> okay, <laughs> because you know I I do you know uh, an army travels on its stomach and well, i'm an go. army so there we go <laughs> but so that's that's we just you know you came over to the house one time mm. i live in pasadena you came mm-hmm. over and um it, it was just a friendship mm-hmm. that okay here's somebody else who knows exactly what i went through as a kid in high school as growing up and is doing exactly what he wants to and I was doing exactly what I wanted to at the time. I, I was a, a stay-at-home dad, mm-hmm. and 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 I kind of write too. But um, oh, you know, I, I had a, a cartoon was uh, made of one of my scripts. Uh, did oh. you ever? Yeah, did you ever see um, the Hanna Barbera when David Kirshner was there? Uh, Pirates of the Dark Water. Oh no! Really? Yeah. Holy well, what cow. happened was. Um, there was the woman who was in charge of animation. She wanted to teach an animation class. Mm-hmm. So I was working there um, on a, a show called Wake, Rattle, and Roll. And so I I was asked if I would take the class you know, to help her. So I mm-hmm. said, yeah, sure, I'll take the class. Well, I did very well in the class. And one of the things about doing well in the class is they gave you an um, opportunity to write a script. Mm-hmm. So... They came to me and they go, okay, we're going to do a new series of, a new season of Pirates of the Dark Water, but we don't want to work on the myth, which was mm-hmm. finding the jewels. Mm-hmm. We want standalones. So I said, well, okay. The, you know, the what is it? The classic model show. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I said, okay. And I came up with someone something and I went and I pitched it. Mm-hmm. It is the Defiant Ones mm-hmm. meet... Predator meet the most dangerous game. Ooh, okay. That's and a they hell of said, a bike. That's a hell of yeah. a Venn diagram you got going there. Okay. So they go, that, that's exactly what they, I don't think they understood. They go, okay, see if you can do this. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the Game Players of Undar, which um, is, if, if you listen to podcasts mm-hmm. talking about each episode, People like this episode. It's mm-hmm. it was and it was fun to do. And I wanted to see, though I didn't get to see him. I wanted to see Tim Curry doing Bloth. So I wrote a lot of not Bloth, um, Korg, I think, or whatever. And so I wrote a lot of his dialogue. And um, so you know, that's another claim that I've. I mean, I've well, done no, a little bit of everything. Kind of, what's kind of cool, actually, folks, that what's worth noting here: this is season two. Uh, you did that episode with Glenn Leopold, and this airs on ABC in on uh, November 29th, nineteen ninety two. This is the same weekend that Aladdin opens in theaters. Yeah. So, at a time when people were really crazy into animation, so to be working on this show at that time, how cool! How cool! It was. It was great david kirshner was amazing he 
Uh, he could, if they really just let him do what he wanted to mm-hmm. and kept him there for a couple more years, Hanna-Barbera would have been a force to reckon with. They would still be around. Because David Kirshner is, he's a remarkable man. He's come up with some of the greatest, I mean, he came up with the, the Chucky series, the Child Play series. And, you know, working the animation side of the street again, he's the guy who, who created oh, right. American Tale. Yeah. That was the thing that really scared Disney when Spielberg got into animation. You know, the whole notion of, oh, God, we're competing with Steven Spielberg in the animation sphere. Did American Tale, didn't that open up against uh, Oliver and Company, I want yeah. to say? Yeah, I think so. And nobody was given Disney's good reviews back then. And then they did Mouse Detective, which I think kind of changed it until they brought into the Broadway world with mm-hmm. uh, with Little Mermaid, which changed everything. It did. It did. Uh, uh, by the way, folks, I know we are far afield. <laughs> oh, yeah. Star Wars at this, yeah. this point. I'm sorry. I, I wanted on this show to make you understand that uh-huh. Doing a, a looking at Lucas with Brian go it, it's going it's going to be a different show where we're you know you're going to get some amazing show business anecdotes and interesting takes on history and speaking of which when we get back from this break Brian's going to have uh, talk to us about uh, the, the the very day you know we're talking again today that this show is being posted on May fourth May the fourth. Be with you, so. Uh, but but Brian's going to offer us uh, some insights into how we actually got you know that holiday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or twenty-four-seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You were kind enough out ahead of uh, doing today's show to do a little digging and you know wrote up something about May the Fourth. Do you want to share your thoughts about that? Or? Absolutely. Um, like I said, I have a twenty-year-old son who is—he uh, was raised in the the geek tradition, and uh, we do go back and forth every time we watch a show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like right now, we're watching Moon Knight. We will send each other a quote from it. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't seen the show yet, but I give him a quote that's not a spoiler, and mm-hmm. he loves it. So mm-hmm. I call, I asked him, I go, when was the first time that you heard of May the 4th, as in May the 4th be with you? Mm-hmm. And he said he thinks it was during when um, The Force Awakens came out. Hmm. So, But I thought I had heard about it before, so I did a little bit of research, and it, it actually, the first time it was used wasn't even in context with Star Wars. It was used two years after Star Wars came out. Mm-hmm. And remember, because Star Wars was such a phenomenon, even Reagan was using, you know, Star Wars as uh, his, right. as to talk right. about his program because they 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 knew that mm-hmm. if you talked about something people knew about, then they would grasp to it. And in 1979, Margaret Thatcher was Mm -hmm. elected to as prime minister of the UK. So her party, which I think was the conservative party at the time, Mm -hmm. they put a a page, a big page in the London Evening News. And it Mm -hmm. said, may the 4th be with you, Maggie. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. So that was the first time that it was used mm-hmm. as a thing, mm-hmm. but not for Star Wars. But of course, they were trying to bring it into. So now everybody goes, "Oh, she's part of us," mm-hmm. which we all know what happened 
to that, well, right? Well, yeah, yeah, we do. So I don't know if it was being used in the 70s or 80s, but then um, I think I heard about it in the 90s, but I don't think it was a holiday yet. The first celebration they had, the first like to celebrate May the 4th as Star Wars Day, it was mm-hmm. actually in Toronto in Canada in 2011. And they also did it in 2012 too. But hmm. then Lucas sold it to Disney. Yeah. And yeah. then Disney ran with it and they made their Star Wars days at Disney World, mm-hmm. I think during May the 4th and 5th, that weekend. Mm-hmm. So then it was becoming a thing. Mm-hmm. And people were like, you know, it was, it became a religious holiday to, to most Star Wars fans. Mm-hmm. But to the diehards like you and I, mm-hmm. May the 4th was just a fake holiday. Mm-hmm. So Here we go. If, Here we go. If May the 4th was, say, if May the 4th was like Easter, mm-hmm. then Orthodox Easter was May the 25th. That's our holy day. That's the day that we genuflect and say, thank you, because George, you made me come out of the shadows. Mm -hmm. I was able to talk to people. People realized that me being a geek was good for them, Mm -hmm. because before the internet, I had all my friends, they would call me up and they go, Brian, do you remember this movie that had that guy in it that did this thing? And he did something else to another person. I go, oh, you mean this movie? And I go, yeah, that's it. (laughs) There we go. And and it was all because Star Wars made me popular. Now, it may have been too late, but still. We predate VHS tapes. In fact, do you remember what you used to have to pay for a VHS tape? Like, for example, when Star Trek The Motion Picture first came out, to get a copy of it to take home was $79. Yep. That's in 80, 81 money? And the VCRs, they were they were $1,000. And, and they were the size of an engine block. Yes. And you brought this giant machine home and you had to set it up next to your television. And remember how the, the insert compartment would lift up like something NASA had built and, you know, you'd slip the tape in and then it would drop in. I remember when... And I think this is what's kind of interesting. This is Michael Eisner over at Paramount who, who makes the call that they cut the price because Star Trek, the motion picture, hadn't really sold as well as they'd hoped. And so they cut the price of $79 down to 40 and obviously saw a whole lot more people picking up copies of this thing. And when Michael moved over to Disney, he had the you know the entire Disney fun- film library that they had only put 20 or so you know films out available for VHS at Disney and again same yeah. price point Sleeping Beauty which by the way they put out because it was one of the things the effect of yeah that one we can let out of the vault because it's too arty <laughs> you know it doesn't do as well as the other films when we released it to theaters but same thing came out at the $79 price point didn't sell as well as they expected and then, um, you know, that they lowered it to 40 and, and suddenly Disney's in you know, the home video business in a big way. Again, to bring this full circle, well, I think you were talking about getting your first Star Wars stuff on VHS, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I got the first, um, and I can't remember what year. It had to be in the 80s. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I, I got my first, the, and I, I think I still have it someplace. So I get mm-hmm. to see... Um, uh, I get to see Han shooting first, so um, and I also have the 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 laser disc too, but they got they got destroyed in a flood though. But anyway, but yeah, so yeah, and I remember I I you know you would just watch them over and over again, even though mm-hmm. oh, and I would try to get the letterbox versions oh, of it too, yeah. because pan and scan just didn't didn't work for me. See again that the. the, the I know for the young listeners of the show, what is this pan yeah, yeah. scan of what you speak? You know, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean. It, we used to watch TV in a box. I there mean, we it was go. a box. There we, you know, and, and it wasn't flat. It was a big thing. You know, that, again, engine block sized pieces of entertainment. And and you're right. Now that I think about most of the, the videos I bought were mm-hmm. all genre films. Well, I was very lucky when I got, when I graduated from Loyola Marymount. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. My first job was working at CBS Fox Video. 
Oh. Now, okay. CBS Fox Video was an offshoot, I think, of VCA. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. VCA was the first video. Um, they, I mean, I think Paramount did their own and Disney did their own, but then mm-hmm. VCA did everybody else's. Yeah, yeah. And video so, Corporation of America, right? Yeah, uh, and then they became, um, then 20th Century Fox, I guess, bought them or mm-hmm. they had, there was something to do with them. Mm-hmm. And then they would just release... Otherwise, so I I would get my videos for you know half price or what whatever mm-hmm. I I would do very very well, mm-hmm. um, and I had a big collection. But and and you'd watch them over and over again, and then I had the, some of the Disney ones in the clamshell, mm-hmm. you know that oh, yeah. special clamshell yeah, they had. There we go. <laughs> and again, I I apologize again. Two old guys talking here, but I want to tee up a special story to close out today's show and again to give you a taste of, of why you're going to want to come back to this to, to the brand new version of looking at lucasfilm but what was interesting about being a star wars fan early on is that we got new hope in, in 77 we got uh, empire in 80 and then we got return of the jedi in 83 return and then, of the jedi and and brian will tell you for those of us who you know you know for example when they did that cover story on George Lucas, you know, for Time Magazine and showed him in, up at, at Skywalker Ranch with a room full of props. And he was alluding to the nine-part saga, uh, which yeah. then, then 99, oh, did I say nine? I meant six. But there was this weird window of time after that. It's like, well, when are you going to get around to the other films? And it's like, well, I got other things to do. I'm doing Indiana Jones. I'm doing Willow. But I'm still doing Star Wars stuff. I got We got the two Ewok movies. Uh, we got the Droids animated series. We got the Ewoks animated series. But then he, George also began working with the Walt Disney Company. And, you know, first up, of course, we get Captain uh-huh. EO, which you were just talking about the gentleman who, who did some boarding on EO. But then we got Star Tours. Ah, uh, Star Tours. And and now, Brian, I, I want you to tell our listeners, because your initial Star Tours experience was was very different and, and not, yes. you know, not just because of the way you got to experience, which was, that was the 100-hour-long party? Uh, well, I think it was the second time they did this 100-hour party, or at least, you know, two or three days. The first time was for Captain EO. But the the second time they did it for, for Star Tours. Now, I had a pass, so I knew I was going to eventually go there and, and see it. But I was working on a film called Gleaming the Cube. Mm-hmm. And it was the first starring role of an up-and-coming actor by the name of Christian Slater. When we started the film, he was like 16, mm-hmm. but then we had to delay it, so now he was like 18. And I was the production assistant of the director, Graham Clifford. And so I hung out with... with Christian mm-hmm. and you know I helped him out whatever he needed um when we were filming on location I would like wake him up to, so he'd be on set on time so it was the weekend of Star Tours and of course I can't stop talking about it mm-hmm. and and he was into Star Wars of course he was an 18 year old and I go they're having the 24 or they're having the 100 hour party you want to go mm-hmm. and he said yes so it was me, Christian, his girlfriend at the time, and mm-hmm. another friend of his. So I think we got there about midnight of the first day. Mm-hmm. So we get there, and at midnight is when the rides were closing down for maintenance. They would close down for a couple hours. So the first line we got into, we, we didn't want to get into Star Tours right away, because I think they were, it was closed at the the time. But then there was this line that would have lasted like four hours. Well, didn't it go down Main Street? Yeah, it went down all the way to the almost to the entrance. <sighs> so we decided to go on Space Mountain. So on to Space Mountain we go, and we're waiting in line. It was about a, an hour or so, but that wasn't that bad. So we get into the rocket. Mm-hmm. We get up to the launch platform. 
and instead of going straight, Mm -hmm. it goes to the left. And we go in the back, and they Mm -hmm. take us out. They had shut down for maintenance. (laughs) So we're like going, this can't be good. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to get on other rides. The lines are too long. So we see that there is no line for the Matterhorn. Mm -hmm. So we talked to one of the people there, and they said, yeah, it should open in about an hour. And um, we're thinking, or no, they said 45 minutes. So we're thinking, well, that's better than three hours. So we started waiting in line. I don't know if we were in the front of the line, but we were kind of like the first group. The thing about lines, as you Mm -hmm. notice, nobody stands, wants to be first in the line. They'll like, there'll be a group of people and they'll just like walk around until Mm -hmm. one person gets in the line. And starts the line. And as soon as that person does, now you've got 50 people in the line. So that's basically what happened. So we're at, at the front of the line. And one of the guys there was trying to talk us out of getting in, getting in line. And we're like, going, we have nowhere to go. I mean, mm-hmm. everywhere else is you know too much, too long and stuff like that. But he was getting a little irritated at us. So finally, the, the ride starts. They start doing test rides. Okay? And now... Christian had been in the business for quite a while. When he was three, he was in the Broadway and also okay. Yes, he three. would I remember he did the Dick Van Dyke's revival yep. of, of The Music Man that the uh, show went out on the road, never actually made it to Broadway, but yeah, Oh it did no, make it to Broadway? Okay. No, but no, I no, saw it in yeah. LA with oh, him. Oh, you're <laughs> killing me. Yeah. <laughs> I always heard that Dick Van Dyke wasn't necessarily a good Harold Hill because he was too nice. Yes. You know, you, you just never got the killer instinct that you got from a Robert Preston. But Yeah, but it was still, it worked. It worked with him because he, he was he was more of a, instead of a con man, he was more of a, oh, I believe him because he's a nice guy type of thing. Okay. So okay. anyway, so he's been in the business for 15 years. But he, he, he'd only been in like Name of the Rose and mm-hmm. the, a film with oh, a couple other films. But okay. he'd never, he's never had a starring role yet. And so nobody knows him. So we're in line mm-hmm. and they start doing the, the test. And all of a sudden you see this entourage comes up. And it's Corey Feldman. And he's got his entourage. And they go right in. And as he's going in, Corey goes, Hey, hi, Christian. How you doing? And he goes in, and Christian is like seething. He's oh. going, nobody knows who I am. I just want to get on this ride. Mm-hmm. So we eventually get on the ride, and we're really happy. But now it's like 4 o'clock in the morning or mm-hmm. 5 o'clock in the morning. And we decide that we're going to try to get in line for Star Tours. Mm-hmm. So we see the line and we're going, God, we'll be here all day. But we're we're kind of resigned to the fact that we're going to do it. Well, Christian sees this um, girl that he's worked in f- with films mm-hmm. and, and he talks to her and she says to him, I've been saving your place in line. Where have you been? God love her. God love so her. So everybody is like looking at him, but they, they some people recognize him. So they go, okay, mm-hmm. these two are actors. And so we get in line and I don't think we had to wait like 15 minutes. So we got into the ride and I'm telling you, it was an experience I have never had before mm-hmm. in my life. It was something that I had done with my brothers I had put them in a a rocking chair Mm -hmm. or a a desk chair, and I would move the chair while we'd be watching, you know, like roller coasters on the TV, and I'd be doing that to them, but nothing like this. And it was funny because I recognized the voice of Rex, the robot, Mm -hmm. and I told everybody, I go, that's Pee Wee Herman. That's Paul Rubens. And they go, no, it's not. I go, yes, it is. That's Pee Wee Herman. And I, 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 and I knew because my friend had worked on Flight of the Navigator. Mm-hmm. And he told me that Paul, as a favor for Randall Kleiser, did the voice of the Navigator, the the robot. And, but he had his, his credit as Paul Mall. There you go. So nobody knew there it was Paul Rubens. So- what I found out later was 
when they're they say who can we get for the robot and somebody mm-hmm. says well why not the guy who did the robot in flight of the navigator and another person says you mean paul rubens and he goes no no the guy who did the voice in the flight of the navigator <laughs> by the way to, to, to do a quick tie back to masters of the universe evidently the first person they brought in before paul was billy barty oh yeah uh, who, you know, of, of course, had done uh, the voice of, of Figment for uh, you know, a journey into imagination. And the, the problem was, again, they get Billy in and, you know, put him in front of the mic. And, you know, and it's one of these things where it's like, geez, you know, that's a very old, salty old sea captain we got going there for the droid pirate. And it was like, eh, let's try again. So, uh, but no, you're you're not wrong. I mean, again, I I remember from getting to do uh, Star Tours after it opened in 87, and there was, there was, Disney had never done anything like this. I mean, you know, but I I think the moment that people really don't understand that, you know, that, that, uh, well, look at, remember how they promoted it? Like, now the adventure is real. Yeah, yeah. You know, because again, you walked into the old Adventures Through Inner Space building and you made that turn and there in front of you is a full-size Star Speeder and two characters that were made to be audio animatronics, R2 and C-3PO. And they're basically ignoring you while they kibitz back and forth and give you the whole, the the setup for the show. Well, I think it was the first time that a, they did something they entertained you in the line. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. I don't think any line before, I was trying to think of it, and there was no line before that you were entertained in, mm-hmm. and this was the first one. Kuchana, mm-hmm. Kuchana. <laughs> <laughs> and we would always be... I, I had the whole spiel down, too. I can't remember it right now, but I had I had everything down. And then we would notice the things in the baskets that, that were oh, on. Oh, no, totally. I mean, it, was, just... it, was, it was terrific. And then I love when you found out later that the the robots were actually the yes! skeletons of ducks and geese from America Sings. Absolutely, absolutely. So, but yeah, they... it was incredible. It, and it made waiting in line. I would then get on it, and then there was no line. And I, I, was, I felt I was cheated that you didn't get to the whole experience of, of watching the, the droid talk to you and then being shut down and then coming back up and it was brilliant it was it was it was that rare ride where yes you did feel cheated if there wasn't a line because no 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 there's all this cool stuff to to see there's all this stuff to do i'm sorry ma'am you have to take care of your children oh (laughs) that's your husband i'm so sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah good stuff good stuff well again speaking of good stuff folks this is why this is the time and the right person to bring back looking at Lucasfilm with. I'm like the line to Star Tours. I've got everything and I'm like, I have a, a story for everything, which is, again, my kids would go, yeah, daddy made a new friend. So yeah. it's like, I, I just, I like to, you know, you have all these things in your head and I'm no, 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 very that, that, fortunately, you're mm-hmm. going to hear all of them. Yep, that, that's it. And, and face it, this is a great time to bring this show back because the tail end of this month, we've got you know, the Obi-Wan Kenobi a limited series debuting in Disney+. Plus. Likewise, we've got Star Wars Celebration coming over the hill and all the news there. So, uh, which we will be, which we will both be going to. So yeah. we will. Yep. And then, oh, I, can, I, I should mention that yesterday... <laughs> Of course, this is going to be on May the 4th, but yesterday mm-hmm. on May the 3rd, mm-hmm. I went to the Star Wars. I didn't go yet, but I will be going to the Star Wars night at cool. Disneyland. I mm. hear you're going to go the 27th, right? I am. I am, but I'm very much looking forward to your take on the event and, and more to the point, think about everybody who's coming in from out of town to do Star Wars Celebration that you know picked up tickets for the, the After Hours event at Disneyland. I'd love to get your take on yeah. what to do and what not to miss and all that. So, well, But again, you're going to get all my, that. It will be my first time in Galaxy's Edge. Because I had been to Disneyland before the lockdown. I bought a pass and I was going to go, but I was by myself. And I mm-hmm. didn't want to go into Galaxy's Edge by myself for the fear that I would go into a fetal position and just start crying. And I wouldn't have anybody to pick me up. So um, 
I've, I'm waiting till this time. So I'm going to be seeing Galaxy's Edge for the first time. And I just hope that I can control myself and not buy five lightsabers and maybe just the one. Okay. That, or that, maybe that, two, the li- lightsaber and then the dark saber. I got to have a dark saber, right? You got to have a dark saber. This tells you everything <laughs> you need to know about the folk, the show, folks. We are now discussing whether or not you actually need a dark saber. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, that is going to do it for the first installment of the brand new version of Looking at Lucasfilm. We welcome you folks to listen. We're going to try to keep the show on an every two week schedule going forward. Um, tell you what, oh, I, you know, if you, if you've enjoyed the stories that Brian has shared today, can you tell the nice folks where they can find you on, on social media? Yeah. Um, I have a couple of them, but right now the one I'm using is I, my Twitter. It's a geek mm-hmm. with children and children is spelled C H I L D R N. And, uh, so I have that on Twitter and if you go there, you will. I'm going to put up my review of Flaming Hot Cheetos Mountain Dew, ah. which is not good. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's at least too, too many words in that name. Wow. Oh you know. my gosh. Oh, oh that's, that's. But as you, if you, if that, you were a geek mm-hmm. before there was Red Bull, there was Mountain Dew. Yeah, well, there's a lot of us who are dealing with dental problems because of yeah, that exact same the, beverage. The original, <sighs> the original energy drink, but not a good energy. No, not a good energy. But I love Mountain Dew. So again, look, you know, look for Brian there if you're looking for him on social media. Uh, Nancy would like me to remind you: you can find us on social media at Twitter and Instagram is Jim Hill Media, and over on Facebook it's Jim Hill Media News. Uh, and if you like today's show, I uh, want to remind you, we do have some other podcasts here. We have Disney Dish that I do with Len Testa. We likewise have Fine Tuning that I do with Drew Taylor. And of course, we have Marvelous Disney, which I do with Aaron Adams. Beyond that, if you could do Brian and I a favor, if you could go over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend uh, this brand new version of Looking at Lucasfilm, I would appreciate that. And if you really, really, really like what you heard here, you want to go to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful too. And I think for now, that's going to do it. But thank you, Brian, for nudging me to bring the show back and more to the point, agreeing to uh, to, to help get the show back up out of the ground. I, I can't wait to hear, you know, all of the other stories. You know, Well, I can't to wait hear. to hear what you have to say about, um, we should talk about Book of Boba Fett too and stuff like that. We will. Because I, I want to know your, I, I know we have talked a little bit about it, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I've loved your writing. I've loved mm-hmm. your reviews so i can't wait to hear about this well, we'll get and i to that. and i get to hear i get to discuss it with you yes folks the new subtitle for the show you know two old farts talking so uh, yeah. all right that'll be it for now thanks Thank you, for Jim. listening may uh, the th- fourth be with you that, 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 that's a great button all right thanks for listening <laughs> folks take care